62 CP Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So there is an anger that is a righteous, godly anger. Uh, Jesus was angry at the, those who sold uh, and, and cheated people at the temple. Uh, Moses had righteous anger when he smashed the Ten Commandments. There, there is a righteousness. This is not selfish anger because our plans were thwarted, but a righteous anger. There's an outrage over behavior that is ungodly. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what Nehemiah discovered. And that's why he was angry. Today on Verse by Verse, we will be continuing the message Pastor Steve Kreloff began in our last class. Pastor Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are studying the man Nehemiah and the book that carries his name. Nehemiah had a huge job before him, and it was a critically important one, too rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem after the people had returned from their captivity in Babylon. We will examine the issue of godly anger today and another vital part of resolving conflicts within a group, finding out just what exactly is the problem. Often when someone has a complaint, the root cause of the complaint is not obvious. If you are a medical professional, you know the concept well. If my left arm hurts, you'll probably ask first about other things that might be signs of a heart attack before focusing on the arm. Nehemiah was wise enough to look deeper than the surface and to listen to all sides of the dispute. Verses 4 and 5 of Nehemiah chapter 5 tell us that the people cried out because they were so poor that they could not pay their taxes without selling their own children into slavery. Nehemiah soon learned that the taxes were not the root issue. The root issue, as we will soon see, was sin. Pastor Steve will tell us what that sin was and how Nehemiah discovered it and dealt with it, right now on Verse by Verse. Now what do they mean by this? This third group, I think, really got to the heart of of the conflict when they told Nehemiah that they borrowed money to pay for the taxes of King Artaxerxes, the Persian king. There were heavy taxes... And they said, we had to borrow money. We don't even have money to pay, and uh, we have to pay our taxes. In order to repay these loans, they were forced now to to sell their children and their property to to their creditors. They had to sell them because that was the way that you, you handled finances then. If you couldn't pay back, your children had to be sold into slavery. Your property was gone. And what they probably mean by verse 5 is is this, and it's a pitiful, pitiful verse. Uh, we're human too. We're very human and we love our children just as much as our creditors do. We love our boys. We love our, our girls. And we're willing to work to earn the money to buy back our children, to buy back our lands. But they own our lands. We can't even work our lands to make money. We're in a helpless state. I mean, that's a pathetic situation. Our children are gone. Our land is gone. Um, and we can't even make the money to, to buy back our children. And they're crying out against their Jewish brethren who were the creditors. Now, that's the problem. So, as I said before, as it would appear, these three groups are really in the same conflict, economic pressures, and they're just spiraling downward. And so that, that's the problem. Now, we, we want to note 
uh, just a, a few things before we really delve into this and uh, and get to the heart of the matter. Two significant things about these verses. First of all, the pressures of life that you face, the pressures of life that I face, that all of us face in the 20th century are really not different than the pressures that they faced thousands of years ago in Nehemiah's time. What pressures do you, you have economic pressures? Not enough money? How about uh, high taxes? You complain about taxes? High interest rate? I mean, does that sound familiar? Maybe you don't sell your children into, uh, into slavery, but you've got pressures like this. You see, the Bible is not outdated. The Bible is not irrelevant. The Bible deals with human problems for every age and for every era. So we, we want to understand that this is, this is not something that, that you say, oh, that was their problem, it's not ours. We struggle with taxes. We struggle with economic pressures. We struggle with high interest rates. Secondly, I noticed that Nehemiah listened to these people and allowed them to express themselves. That's very important. These problems have been brewing for a long time. They did not develop overnight. And Nehemiah listened to them and he gave them the opportunity to speak their minds, which means that the first step, and note this, the first step in resolving a conflict within your home, your church, your your work, your school, your youth group, whatever, is to talk about it, to talk about it, to get it out in the open and to discuss it. Nehemiah gave them that opportunity. One of the, the reasons why some people and some families and some churches never resolve anything is because they just don't talk about their problems. They just don't talk about it. They think it's going to go away if they don't talk about it. They either pretend that it doesn't exist or or whoever's in charge doesn't really want to deal with the real issue because you know what? It hurts the, the, the pride. You have to really be transparent and some of this stuff really hurts. So communication is just surface and it's just superficial. I said, I was raised like that. I was the king of surface and superficial talk. In fact, I, I was just thinking this week, you know how I would deal with conflicts? It wasn't funny back then, but it is humorous thinking about this. If I had a conflict with my mom especially, uh, I knew what bothered her. I would just walk away. I'd walk away. If we were out shopping and I had a conflict with her, which basically meant she didn't do what I wanted her to do. That's that's what I call the conflict. I would just, um, I just let my mom walk and... I'd walk away. And she was a rather large woman and uh, couldn't catch me. And she wouldn't want to create a scene in public, so there she wondered in New York if her boy was anywhere near her. If we were on a busy street, I'd walk about 50 yards behind her. In fact, one time I remember doing this, and uh, then I got a little concerned. I, was, I must have been very young, and I thought I was right near my mom, and I grabbed someone's hand, and I walked with this lady, who I don't know who it was, <laughs> for a while, and then I looked out, it wasn't my mom, and I thought, I better get back to my mom. She was a very kind lady. But, you know, that's how I dealt with conflicts. That's how I dealt with conflicts. I, I, I didn't deal with them. And then sometime later in the evening, I would go to her, and I would just say, um, I'm sorry, because I really couldn't stand being at odds with her. But I was never any repentance. There was never any issues that were really dealt with. It wasn't like I said, you know, I'm the self, most selfish being on the face of the earth. And of course, I wasn't a believer, so I, I didn't understand those things. But that's how. I was the king of surface superficial stuff. Because we never really dealt with the heart of the issue. We just kind of patched over it until the next time she got in my way in life. And then I would do the same thing again and cause her all kinds of turmoil. And uh, once in a while, you might wonder, well, why didn't she just belt this kid? Once in a while, she did. And so I want you to, to know that. And um, 
quite a few times. Yeah, I heard an amen. And uh, I didn't get it as much as I should have, but uh, once in a while she just came after me and uh, bigness and all, she caught me. So anyway, the important thing here is that uh, Nehemiah listened and he, and he was determined to resolve this because sometimes, and what I just explained to you, sometimes really goes on within a church. It goes on within other homes. It goes on where where we never resolve anything. It, it's just that the, the temperature continues to rise until there's an eruption. There's just an explosion because it boils over. You see, Nehemiah listened to these people. He was sensitive to them so that, that he could identify what was the real problem. We don't want to deal with the surface stuff. We don't, we don't want to deal with just superficial stuff. We want to get to the heart of it. And, and what he did is listen so he understood what, not only what are they saying, but what do they mean by what they're saying. And he, and he really found out what the problem was because notice verse 6 says this, Then I was very angry. Nehemiah discovered something. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. Nehemiah listened so that he could identify the real problem. And do you know why he was angry? And he was very angry. And by the way, this is not sinful anger. The Bible speaks of righteous anger. Before we look at what he said, I, I, I want you to understand this. Uh, all anger is not sinful. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 said, uh, be angry, yet do not sin. So there is an anger that is a righteous, godly anger. Uh, Jesus was angry at the, those who sold uh, and, and cheated people at the temple. Uh, Moses had righteous anger when he smashed the Ten Commandments. There, there is a righteousness. This is not selfish anger because our plans were thwarted, but a righteous anger. There's an outrage over behavior that is ungodly. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what Nehemiah discovered. And that's why he was angry. So why was he angry? Why was he outraged? Because wealthy Jewish people were loaning money to their Jewish brethren and then charging them interest, which is called usury. In case you're wondering, what is usury? It's charging interest to their brethren. They were forbidden to do this. See, the problem wasn't the famine or the king's taxes. The problem was this. Now, you say, why is that so big? Because it violated the law of Moses. And I want you to see this. In Exodus, if you can't turn there, just listen and mark it down. Exodus 22, verse 25. The law said, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. Rather clear. Rather plain. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 19 and 20 say the same thing. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen, interest on money, food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. You may charge interest to a foreigner. That, that was okay. But to your countrymen, you shall not charge interest so that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land which you are about to enter to, to possess. In other words, just trust me. I'll give you everything you need. You don't take advantage of your Jewish kinsmen and at their distress, make a profit. You want to charge interest? Charge interest to somebody else, not to them. Don't make money off of their uh, problems. And let me just read this. Leviticus chapter 25. I mean, this is not an isolated portion of Scripture. Leviticus 25, verse 35. Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his, mean, and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take uh, uh, charge interest from him, take interest from him, but revere your God 
that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your, your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. I am the Lord your God who brought you and so forth. God says that uh, you, you can loan him money, but don't charge him interest. You see, the first step in resolving any conflict is to listen carefully and then to figure out what scripture has been violated. That is exactly what Nehemiah did. He understood the king's taxes weren't the real issue. The economic pressures were not the, the real problem. The real problem was that they violated scripture. And that's why he was angry. The reason we have conflicts in the first place is because somebody has violated God's word. And usually not just one person, but more than one person. So you have to identify the real issue. And that's why Nehemiah was, was angry. And that's why we're to get angry. You should get angry when God's word has been, has been violated. You should be annoyed. In fact, this is how Satan operates. This, Satan wants to destroy the work of God just like he did. Remember in the early church, they've just gotten off the ground and Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Lord and there was an internal disunity and internal conflict. Then they go on a little bit further in chapter 6 of the book of Acts and now they have an internal problems because some of the uh, Jewish widows who spoke Greek said, we're not getting the food distribution like the Jewish widows who speak Hebrew. And there was a conflict and, and so forth. That's all part of Satan's plan. So understand when these things happen in a church or happen in, in any group in the church that you're involved in or your home, that just didn't happen. That's part of his strategy to split you up, to have all kinds of disunity things and to to uh, to hurt God's testimony in the work of, of Christ. So this is why he was angry. So what should you do to settle the conflict? First of all, and you want to mark this down. First of all, listen to all sides. That's what Nehemiah said. Listen to all sides. Men, listen to your wives when they talk to you. Wives, listen to your husband. And I, when I say listen, I mean, don't just look like you're listening. Don't just look like you're listening. You know, I recently spoke at Lakeside Christian School and uh, took some questions. And one little boy raised his hand and said, how do you know if people are listening to you? And I said, I don't. They can look at me and look like they're listening. I have no clue if they're listening, unless they respond to the word. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, really hear. So listen. So men, listen to your wives. Wives, listen to your husbands. Parents, listen to your children. Don't be thinking about what you're going to respond to them. Listen to your children. And children, listen to your parents. That is so biblical because James tells us at the end of the New Testament, James tells us a, a verse that ought to be memorized and meditated on by every Christian, especially me. James 1.19 this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let everyone be quick to hear. And you know what Proverbs, one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. And how often we do that. We want to answer somebody before we know the facts. We want to tell them what to do before we've, we've heard them. We don't even know what the issues really are. So first of all, listen. Really listen. Listen to all sides. Listen to the other side. Secondly, deal with the real root issue. What does their speech reveal? Is it is it your sin? Then what do you do if you're wrong? Then you confess it and you ask them to forgive you and you ask God to forgive you. Is it their sin? Then you lovingly point it out to them and uh, you, you deal with that. Scripture tells us to do that. Is it someone else's sin? Then you know what you do? You tell them to go to that other person and do what Matthew 18, verse 15 says. If you someone sins against you, then go to them and tell them. 
Now, that's very that's very important. What should you do? And, and we have this all the time when someone comes to you with a problem about somebody else. You know, I don't like the music. David, I just use this as an illustration. Wherever you are. <laughs> I don't like the music minister. It's too loud. It's too low. It's too. And, and you tell other people, what should you do? You know, let me tell you what to do the next time someone comes to you. They may say, I don't like the preacher. And that's that's very, I should probably use that as an illustration. Or I don't like this. Or I, well, the best thing to do is to tell them that Matthew 18, verse 15 says, don't go to me. You go to them. And you tell them, and you say, yeah, but I've done that, but, but you might not have done this. This is a new thing I'm going to tell you. You say, you know, um, I'm going to call you in 48 hours to make sure that you've done this. Because uh, if you don't do that, then you're just kind of adding to their sin. You're adding to their sin. That's where gossip begins. That's where negative talk begins. That's where splits begin. So-and-so tells so-and-so about their problem. And Listen, I hear that a lot. So you, now you have something to do. I'm going to call you in 48 hours, and I'll make sure that you did this. Then they'll probably tell you, well, I really don't dislike him that much. you know. But, but uh, no, they've already said what they, what they mean. Now, in Nehemiah's case, he went to speak to the guilty ones, probably because the people weren't getting any results, which leads to a second step in biblically resolving the conflict. The first is identify what, what is the conflict. What's the real problem? In this case, it wasn't economic pressures. In this case... There are people exploiting other people. So the first thing, you identify what is the, the problem. They violated the word of God. The second step is address the conflict. Now that you know what it is, you got, you got to deal with it. And that's what Nehemiah does in verse 7. In verse 7, we read, And I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting usury, that is charging interest, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. Even though Nehemiah was angry, at the greed and lack of compassion of the Jewish leaders, you know what? He didn't take immediate action. He didn't blow his stack. He didn't start chewing them out. Instead, the scripture says, I consulted within myself. That's a great verse. Every person ought to understand, especially every leader in the church ought to understand, I consulted within myself. In other words, he thought before he spoke. That's what he means. He thought before he spoke. Even though he was mad, he got a handle on his emotions and he didn't blurt out the first thing that came to his mind. But he thought about the problem so he could address it in a godly way. And what was that godly way? What, what is the way? Well, verse 7 says that after he consulted with himself, he contended with the nobles, the rules. He said to them, you're exacting usury each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. He confronted them with their sin. That's what he did. He thought about it. How am I going to say this so that it's a proper way of putting it, but then he charged them with violating the law of Moses by charging interest to their brethren. Now, notice what, what Nehemiah did. This is very important. He told them the truth about their behavior. There's a novel thought. He told them the truth about their behavior. That's the way to address an internal disunity problem. Just speak the truth. But so many Christians don't. People who say they believe in the Bible, they, they don't. And I'll tell you, there are several reasons why uh, Christians don't do this. None of these are valid. But here's some of the reasons. And maybe you've had some of these reasons. One reason is, well, it's judging. It's rebuking people. And we're told not to judge. Well, I want you to know we're, we're not told not to judge. We're told not to judge a certain way. But we are told to reprove people. Do you realize that? Reprove the brethren. Uh, in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says that all Scripture, in verse 16, all Scripture is inspired of God. We believe that. And he says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training and righteousness. You say, but that's not for me. That's for the guy in the pulpit. No, that's for you. If all scripture is inspired and it's, is it profitable for you? Sure. If it's profitable for you, then it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. It means, and not just me, any one of us, all believers ought to be reproving others, correcting others. That the man of God, he says, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And then notice, we turn over to the, the next chapter. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his approaching or appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. We're all to be doing this. This is not simply for a teacher. All of us are to be reproving. The word of God is given for all of us to do those things as we minister to one another. So someone also might say, but, you know, who am I to approach someone about their sin when I've got so much in my life? And so that in that polite way of just getting off the hook, you know, and if you follow that to its uh, logical conclusion, no one would ever approve anybody else because we're not perfect until we go to be with the Lord. So nobody can obey the scriptures on this. Well, what does the Bible say? Matthew chapter 7, which is a verse people use for saying we shouldn't judge. They also used to say uh, about my sin. But Matthew chapter 7 answers that. Do not judge lest you be judged, Jesus said. For in the way you judge, you'll be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So people just stop there and say, see, not supposed to do it. I can't be judging. It's ju And by the way, judging here is simply saying this is wrong. It's not evaluating the heart. It's not looking at motivation it's saying you're wrong. You violated the word, but people don't want to read further. Jesus said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Then he goes on to say, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. So some people might say, see, I'm not supposed to take the speck out of the right. No, he didn't say that. In verse five, he said, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, deal with your own sin. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We're supposed to take the, take the speck out of our brother's eye, which means we're supposed to judge their sin. We're supposed to say you're wrong. But first, we deal with our own sin. We deal with our own sin. If Jesus tells us to take the log out of our own eye before removing the speck from someone else's eye, then he is clearly telling us that we are indeed authorized to help our brothers and sisters in Christ in their battle with sin. We have been indoctrinated with the concept that it is judgmental to correct someone or even to state biblical truth as absolute truth. That is Satan's lie meant to keep us spiritually isolated from each other in our battle against sin. It is amusing to me that the very act of telling a person that they are judgmental is, in itself, judgmental. But then again, there is nothing humorous about knowingly letting our friends continue a sinful behavior without making an effort to rescue them. Thank you for listening today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is teaching from the book of Nehemiah. Verse by Verse is the radio adaptation of Pastor Steve's Sunday messages, and these daily classes are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry and depend on God's grace along with the prayers and gifts of our listeners. To find out how you can help us keep these classes going, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. 
If you'd like to listen again to today's program, you can hear it right there at versebyverseradio.org. You can order a CD or cassette with this entire message by calling us at 727-239-0306. If you get the answering machine, leave us a daytime phone number so that we can return your call during normal business hours. Many years ago, my woodshop teacher saw a student about to cut off several fingers because she was using the radial arm saw improperly. Was he helpful or judgmental when he reached over, stopped the saw, and pointed out what she was doing? If you saw a blind person in the street who was about to be hit by a bus, would it be judgmental or loving to dash out to them and help them out of harm's way? Is it loving or judgmental for a mother to let her baby play with matches? Now, we usually have no problem coming to the aid of someone who is in physical peril. In fact, we often call those people heroes, and they respond by saying they didn't do anything that someone else wouldn't have done. But when an eternal soul is in peril, we become strangely reluctant to get involved. Please join us for the next...